I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help with the aid of my favorite wrestling show. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week, we sink our teeth into the episode of NXT that originally aired on August 28th, 2013. This episode opens and closes with the Ascension, so we're probably just going to spend the entire episode talking about soft vampire boys. Sorry, y'all. Not sorry. <laughs> Welcome to episode 15 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, we talked about one of the greatest matches in NXT history with Chris Newton, and it was fucking awesome. So this episode really had a hard act to follow, uh, but we get lots of story development to discuss, so we're going to do that in Bob's Breakdown. The sight sounds and feels of pro wrestling will follow after that, and we're also going to do another round of Guess the Gimmick before closing out the show with the Cheap Pop Quiz. But as always, Bob, before we get going, we need to take a look at the results from last episode's Cheap Pop Quiz. I have so completely forgotten what the questions were, so this will be a nice refresher. Question number one. Next episode, we begin a new set of tapings, which means the crowd is hot at full sail. Which character is suddenly, inexplicably, being cheap? instead of booed. Is it A, Summer Rae, B, Enzo Amore, C, Sylvester LaFort, D, Bo Dallas, or E, none of the above. Uh. Bob, you chose D, Bo Dallas. Uh, quite the opposite, as I'm sure you know by now. Uh, the correct answer was B, Enzo Amore, who the crowd is now suddenly into. Uh, I, that's not <laughs> the correct answer, crowd. <laughs> Question number two. We honestly haven't seen a whole lot of cheating so far in NXT, but on the next episode, we finally get to meet a very old standard of a wrestling trope, the foreign object. Hello again, old friend. (laughs) What object does a wrestler use behind the referee's back on the next episode to win their match? Is it A, a shoe, B, a fork, C, an iPhone, D, a can of hairspray, or E, a steel chair. Bob, your selection was C, an iPhone, and you are correct! Yay! Bringing your total so far to eight on this second round of cheap pop quizzing. I'm so rich in points. And question number three. Quick peek behind the curtain, I use the Pro Wrestling fandom page a lot in order to keep things straight in my brain. One interesting thing about the entry for the next episode is that it mentions a dark match, which is a match that the live audience got to see, but didn't make television. This match features Danny Burch, aka the British guy that Tyler Breeze spin kicked to death three episodes ago, and a man we haven't seen quite yet named Mojo Raleigh. What is his catchphrase? Was it A? Damn! B, hello, ladies. C, whoa, 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 you know it. D, I don't get hype, I stay hype. Or E, I speed in the face of people who don't want to be cool. Bob, you chose selection C, woo, 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 you know it, which is an interesting selection for tangential reasons, but not a correct one, unfortunately. The answer was D, I don't get hype, 
I stay hype. Nice. And Mojo Raleigh briefly appears on the episode we're covering today in that weird video package for SummerSlam access, which I'm not sure if you had questions about. Oh, <laughs> no, I just sort of ignored it and thought, That's, oh, this is, you know, it's just content I'm being fed. That's legit. Well, with that out of the way, Bob, it's time for your breakdown. Backstage with Renee Young and Corey Graves, there is not even any talking. And then just Rick Victor comes into shot. And I shit you not, Rick Victor has steampunk goggles around his neck. Yup. Hashtag 2013. <laughs> so a cryptic vampiric warning is issued. And when Graves reacts with all the elf fade dignity you'd imagine, O'Brien comes from behind to hit him and then puts a solid steel girder on him. I assume it has to be solid steel. You're not allowed to have anything in any wrestling arena that's not solid steel. That's correct, yes. And then he says, stay down, Graves. Okay, Miles. Yeah. That felt really choppy and out of nowhere, but am I expecting yeah. too much narrative transition or am I just having standards? No, no, no. I think you're just having standards. Like, that is the coldest of cold opens. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah, because they weren't even acting like Renee and Corey Young were having an interview. They were acting like they were waiting for their scene partner to come on. Yeah, it was like it's just backstage with Corey Graves and Renee Young. They're not even talking yet and they just get attacked. It's very weird. I'm not defending it. Yes, okay. this is just a matter of you having standards. OK, fair enough. And then match one, CJ Parker and Tyler Breeze. CJ Parker dances in. The crowd is sure that they should make some noise, but completely unsure what noise to make. Tyler Breeze comes out and the crowd is a little bit more on board. And before mm -hmm. the match starts, the crowd is chanting no. And this is my first exposure, I think, to the no chant. How powerful is the no chant, Miles? So the no chant is a derivative of the yes chant which is specifically a thing brought about by a wrestler named Daniel Bryan. Oh, um, I am who, familiar with the fact that he is a thing. Yes, he is a thing. He was actually on the very first season of Game Show NXT. There's a long, long story of Daniel Bryan that's one of the coolest stories in wrestling, and he's also one of the best wrestlers. He's great. I love him. We'll talk about him another time. But uh, long story short, he initially got over by doing a thing where he put his fingers in the air and went, yes, yes, yes. And the crowd did it with him. Hmm. So then when he turned heel, he started doing no, no. And it was part of his heel character was, was that he had, he had gone toward negativity instead of positivity. Um, and he was also trying to kill the yes chant because he didn't want people to cheer him. Unfortunately, he is delightful and a great wrestler and nobody was ever willing to boo him. Nah. So... <laughs> The rise of Daniel Bryan, the actual rise of like, oh, shit, Daniel Bryan is like world champion and like the greatest wrestler and most popular wrestler in the company is happening right about now. Like we're right in the middle of it in late August 2013. This episode came out after SummerSlam 2013 and SummerSlam 2013 is the show in which Daniel Bryan beat John Cena <laughs> to win the WWE championship. And then there was a bunch of other shit that happened. But like we are in peak Daniel Bryan craze right now. So that okay. you're a lot of yes and no chance. That just blows my mind because I I'm shocked that it took a notable figure for yes and no to become chance. Yeah, yeah like, me too. It, like they didn't discover it until then. They're like Daniel Bryan was the first person to ever think of chanting yes or no. Pretty much. <laughs> That's okay. Well, 
that's not the answer I expected at all. And I'm really, once again, wrestling has zigged where I thought it would zag. It'll do that. Okay. The match starts and CJ Parker dies for the cell phone in the corner. Breeze grabs him and shakes him yelling, don't touch my stuff. Just yep. so many flashbacks for any of us with siblings. <laughs> and then CJ Parker comes at Breeze with a kick, but he drops and rolls out of the ring to avoid a hit to the face because obviously he is using that face. Right. Parker chases him back in the ring, but Breeze takes control, punching Parker to the ground. Parker pops back up, though, and he hoists Breeze over his shoulder like a bag of designer garbage and spins him around before dropping him. But Breeze will not stand for that. He goes to the cell phone in the corner. And when Parker pursues him, he lightly taps Parker in the head with the <laughs> corner of the cell phone. And then Parker nope. wilts to the mat and Breeze it's pins him. It's deadly. It's deadly. <sighs> yeah, apparently. I'm, it's <laughs> the sharpest corner that's ever been. Uh, but I did want to say I want this remake of The Odd Couple so badly. That's an interesting comment, given where things are going. That's all I'll say. Okay. So Emma and Renee are backstage. Emma's destiny is to fight Paige, but it has to wait until she kicks Summer Rae's ass. And until she goes on a dance dance evolution date with Renee. Yeah, everybody wants to ask Renee out backstage. Huh? Yeah, they do. Miles, I think Emma yep. has gotten better on camera. Thoughts? I think she has too. So much better. Yeah, she's still not great, but like, she's definitely better. She's definitely improving. Compared to where she was. So match two, Emma arrives in a sea of bubbles, just a real low budget version of the birth of Venus. <laughs> but she's got her bottle of bubble solution ready for the win. And then Summer Rae flounces to the ring. So the match starts, Emma goes for a submission hold, but Summer Rae crawls away and we get the classic rolling around and head slamming, which mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe that's just having a Summer Rae thing. You have to, if Summer Rae's on, you got to do it. At least it was like a little bit less noticeable. I agree. You know, they, didn't, they didn't do it for very long. It was so. mild. Yeah. Summer Rae struggles to her feet, but Emma's just there throwing shapes like a drunk ant. And then Summer Rae rallies, wrenches on Emma's left arm using the ropes for torque. Summer Rae gets Emma in a hold with her legs, pinning Emma's arms back. And the ref is there with worried eyes going, is this supposed to be sexy or fighty? I don't even know anymore. 2013 <laughs> is so weird, guys. It's so weird. Not to spoil sight, sounds and feels, but, uh, some of the moves that they pull out in this match really like stuck with me as lasting images mm. and specifically Summer Rae doing that uh, full Nelson on Emma with her legs instead of her arms Jeez. is like the lasting image I have of Summer Rae. Like it's the first thing I think about when I think her name. Well, Emma gets out and goes for the dilemma on the ropes, which softens Summer Rae up enough that when Emma goes for her bridge submission hold, Summer Rae taps out immediately. Pretty and quick, yeah. Yeah. The celebratory Emma dance commences, but Summer Rae gets up from the mat and shoves Emma out between the ropes and onto the outside. And then Summer Rae grabs the bubble solution and dumps it into Emma's eyes. Mm, I swear, of everything I've ever seen, that's easily the most painful one to watch. By far the most painful one to watch. <laughs> It's the most painful wrestling hole there is. Yeah. Oh, soap in the eyes is the worst. It's awful. No, I know. Ah. It's terrible. So, Miles, this is the second time tonight an object was brought in with a wrestler and has played a part in the episode. Is mm. every foreign object a Chekhov's gun? If I see somebody holding something or carrying something, should I assume it's going to get play in the match? Probably, yes. Uh, okay. There are some exceptions. I think, like... 
Remember when Scott Dawson was carrying a flashlight around and like nothing really happened with that? Like, yeah, there, I always a couple wondered. Times. I was thought like this is very <laughs> ominous. A maglite's a real thing. But for the most part, yeah, you could pretty much assume that if there's an object involved in a wrestler's like entrance or whatever, it's probably getting used at some point. Yeah, I guess unless it's a set piece, because I mean, it would be a lot to use the rocking chair, the Bray Wyatt rocking chair. Mm. You could really destroy somebody with that. Right, but like in a different, there's a scenario like if Bray Wyatt was feuding with somebody where like somebody might destroy the rocking chair, you know, oh, or somebody might like, that would be you know, cool. do something bad to the rocking chair. Like, Pee not on always. It. No, I don't know. Yeah, but <laughs> as though that's never happened. Uh, oh, not always, no. but, uh, but yeah, most of the time. <laughs> Backstage, Sylvester LaFora, Scott Dawson, Cassidy, and Enzo are hanging out. The fuckboy convention is in town. <laughs> So they're fighting it out as Enzo says that all Scott Dawson does is lose. Oh my fucking God. Glass houses, Enzo. Yeah, seriously. But they've all pissed one another off and Enzo is going to fight Scott Dawson. And uh, I could just hear the bottom of the barrel being scraped as the match card came on screen. (laughs) With Enzo, like, clearly the graphic was like from a few weeks ago before he had the stubble on his face. Yeah. And the... And the weird leopard print that's apparently all over him now, including his hair. Yeah, he's gone through some real sharp turns in his aesthetic. And uh, there was a close up on his face and somebody had gotten a ruler out and shaved like a hard line into his stubble. (laughs) Respect that he's doing the aesthetic and committed to it. But oh, my God, it's such a bad aesthetic. All right. So that happens. But then backstage... (laughs) Summary gives real talk to Sasha saying Mm. she's going to lose her upcoming match because she doesn't have a backbone. Miles, is this foreshadowing Mm. a heel turn? Where'd you learn that word? (laughs) I've been cheating (laughs) on you with other podcasts. No, Um, I think it just for cultural zeitgeist stuff. I think I learned it not because of any wrestling thing. I only know heel turn because it's been used to talk about other cultural things and pop cultural (laughs) things. We're actually going to talk officially about turns in an upcoming wrestling term of the week. Not this one, but uh, but one coming up. Well, that's the only kind uh, I know of. So, yeah, I don't uh, I don't want to spoil. Yeah, no, I Sasha is going to turn heel, but. Well, uh, it's interesting that you're thinking along those lines. I will say, get yours, girl. You could do it, Sasha. <laughs> I love her. We'll talk more about that. Match three. So Sylvester LaFour comes out in a jacket that was so glittery. The low resolution couldn't even capture it. <laughs> it's just like he's wearing a collection of pixels. Yeah, it, it's a blur. Yeah, it was pretty intense. The shirt is also glittery. You should know, listeners. But it's black, so it's classy. Scott Dawson and Enzo Amore are going to fight it out. So Scott Dawson gets Enzo up and throws him across the top rope, getting him (laughs) right in the stomach, which was very satisfying to watch all the air go out of Enzo. Mm. The one time that's ever been true. So (laughs) Enzo is down on the mat getting kick after kick from Dawson, but the crowd is chanting for Enzo. What the ever loving fuck? You are wrong, NXT crowd. You've never been so wrong. Uh, Yeah. Do you want to offer any defense of Full Sail University at this point, or do you just want to condemn them as well? Enzo is decent at, like, saying his catchphrases, I guess. Okay. And sometimes in wrestling, that's all you really need, (laughs) at least for a little while. All right. All right. Uh, I I will confess to, at one point in my life, uh, 
very much enjoying the work of Enzo Amore, and I'm not proud of it, but I definitely did, okay. <laughs> as well as a lot of you us know did. I am honored that you feel safe in this space yeah, and willing yeah, no, to it's... talk about this, because you know what? We're all evolving and learning and growing as people, so... You can be a person who liked Enzo Amore and, you know, move on from that. That's possible. So, like, he's going to be a thing and then he's going to go to the main roster and then we can forget that he ever existed. All right. So, but we have to live through him being a thing first, unfortunately. (laughs) Well, Enzo manages the leg scissors to the head that drags your opponent to the mat. Dawson is clutching his jaw when Rusev shows up to clock Big Cass in the back of the head. And uh, I was kind of lukewarm on Rusev, but he's winning me over with this. Because he punched Colin Cassidy in the head. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Enzo is worried about Cassidy and goes to the ropes, but Dawson catches him from the back and suplexes him, then goes for the pin. And so that's over. Uh, I presume that that feud or whatever, feud et. Feudlet, feudling. I'm assuming that's the resolution for that, but we'll see, I guess. And then we get an anti-bullying PSA courtesy of The Miz. Yeah, that's so, some hypocritic bullshit. I was going to say, okay, I feel like a lot of wrestling is predicated on bullying. It's particularly egregious to see that commercial air right now during a time where NXT's head trainer was actively bullying his talent and like calling them slurs and Ugh. being horrible to them. And like some of the ones who ended up leaving that we're never going to see because they were on the show too early and they didn't make it because they quit or were fired. Yeah. Like sued WWE over it. So it's like, it's really leaves a really terrible taste in your mouth. Yeah. Um, to see an anti-bullying ad. <laughs> I also think it's the weakest charity choice because it does nothing to under like to address the underlying inequalities that lead to bullying. It's just like bullying. Right. It's bad. And they're like, Well, yes. Yeah, like, I mean, fucking WWE is the kind of company that will make a huge deal out of their relationship with, like, Susan G. Komen. But, like, of course, from a political standpoint, of course, they hate Planned Parenthood. Like, it's just that kind of thing. They love performative altruism like any major company likes to engage in performative altruism so that it looks like they're altruistic, even though everybody fucking knows better. Nice. Capitalism! All right. Well, then we get an interview with Zane and he's in the ring and he's in normal clothes and looks like a person. Yeah. Which is always interesting because whenever other wrestlers come out in their quote unquote normal clothes, they don't so much usually. (laughs) But uh, Renee's out there and Zane tells Renee, you know, he's not worried about Cesaro right now. He's going to become the next NXT champion. And the audience is excited about that. But then Mm -hmm. Q Bo Dallas coming out. And as we were talking about normal... Bo Dallas comes out in a white suit with long hair like a low-rent 1960s cult leader. <laughs> He's certainly drinking his own Kool-Aid, oh, so that geez, works. yes, so much. So Dallas is being a delusional weirdo, saying the crowd loves him, and Zane is a green kid with sparkles in his eyes. And <laughs> Zane challenges Dallas to a match, and then we get Zeb Coulter. Like a sulfurous fart, he whacks his <laughs> xenophobia around, accusing Zane of being in the U.S. illegally. But Zane burns him so good, saying he's going to get Coulter and Cesaro deported back to hell. Fuck yeah, light him up, son! And then Jack Swagger, who I already hate so much, and want him and Zeb Coulter to have incurable UTIs because they're the worst, <laughs> comes up behind Zane and attacks him. And Zane battles back, but when he's thrown spine first into the mat, it's pretty much over. And then Jack Swagger mm. lays the whiny snake flag across Zane. The whiny snake flag. That's the episode title for this one. 
So yeah, Jack Swagger's here. And he can fuck off, sorry. Yeah, Baba actually was introduced to Jack Swagger prior to this episode. Yes. Because Baba's been watching AEW. So not only did she get to meet Jake Hager in his Mm -hmm. new role uh, on AEW as part of Chris Jericho's inner circle, but she also got to hear all of us being mad about it because Jake Hager is a fucking MAGA piece of trash. And the fact that AEW hired him makes me not want to watch their show. There you go. So yeah, fuck that guy. I'm sorry. He's here. If it's any consolation, Bob, he ain't here for long. Okay. I'll take it. Yeah. He is the one of the real Americans who actually believed in the character and is far closer to that whole thing than uh, anyone else. And, and before you even fucking tweet me, I know that Chris Jericho killed the chant and it was great. And, funny and i love that but yeah. like still can we just not hire that guy It'd right be fine. xenophobia is not cool there done. yeah and he's not just xenophobic he's also like transphobic and like he sucks oh, he just sucks all of them well um, now i'm gonna transition into this this main event of the Look evening on your face is delightful right now i just want to say <laughs> it's, it's adrian neville halfling monk versus connor o'brien human barbarian mm-hmm. miles connor yes. o'brien dad or daddy because i can see both that's tough. I think Daddy, though, at least right now. Yeah. Certainly right now with this part of NXT career, I'm going to go Daddy. All right. I just needed to check with you because I mean that yeah. there are some like there's an aspect to Conor O'Brien that is like a dad on the weekend. I think like if you were like, all right, the two members of the Ascension, one of them is dad and one of them is daddy, which is I think Victor's daddy in that case. Oh, man. Like, I think he's more I think he's daddier than than Connor is. Oh, wow. This is a poll. All right, guys. Who is the daddier <laughs> daddy? Is it Rick Victor or Connor O'Brien? How could you not look at those steampunk goggles and like and just go, you're such a daddy. Such a daddy. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think whenever I see somebody in steampunk top hat. <laughs> I'm like, that guy fucks. <laughs> that guy fucks. <laughs> so O'Brien starts the match exercising his power, knocking Neville back a few times. Neville uses that hobbity cunning, taking advantage of his speed to stay out of O'Brien's way, and then using gravity to do a high cross body that takes O'Brien out. And to go back to our conversation from a very long time ago about fighting style matching character, mm. this match feels so much like watching a scene between a Hobbit and an Urukai, like size difference, all those things. Yeah. The body language and the moveset fits seamlessly with the kind of characters that they are, but Miles can a wrestler like Seamus or Connor O'Brien pull out some sort of high flying move and have it be done in keeping with the character. Some can. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. At the risk of, of spoiling current... See, I'm not so worried about spoiling current NXT for you, Bob, because no. like it's going to be so long till we get there, if we ever get there, that I don't really care about it. Yeah. So if you want to go check out some of the recent stuff between two guys in NXT named Dominic Dijakovic and Keith Lee, those are two guys who have been feuding on current NXT recently, and basically their entire thing is they're two big dudes who don't know they're big and decide to just, like, fly around the ring like they're fucking tiny. Oh, my God. Um, they're like great days that think they're lap dogs. They're fucking amazing, and all of their matches are basically predicated on, like, you have to watch because you don't know what the fuck they're going to do next. Oh, because they're fun. real good. So, yes, it definitely does happen. It's just rare because, like, you just don't see a lot of big dudes who can move like that. Okay. All right, so O'Brien picks up Neville and tosses him like mushrooms in a frying pan. 
and <laughs> goes for the pin, but Neville kicks out. And Neville calls upon the power of his heroic thighs and kicks the absolute shit out of O'Brien's knees. <laughs> and then he gets up on the ropes for a high crossbody, flinging himself at O'Brien. O'Brien tries to smash Neville into the corner, but Neville dashes out of the way again and then suplexes O'Brien, which I have to say, I was very impressed. I figured on an intellectual level, it's possible that he could do it. I didn't think I'd get to see him do it. So Neville sets up the red arrow and he lands it and he pins O'Brien and wins the match. Actually, not the red arrow. Interesting. Oh, was it not? What was it? No. And it's funny because the the announcers say, like, he's going up the top rope with the red arrow. My guess is that Neville got up to the top rope, knew this was the finish of the match, but O'Brien was a little bit too far away. Ah. So instead of doing the red arrow, he did something called the 450 splash. Okay. Which... If you do it the way he did it in that instance, you can get a little bit further. You can get a little bit more distance across mm. the ring with that move than you can get with the red arrow. Okay. Because the 450 splash involves front flipping, whereas the red arrow starts off with a backflip. I think that's the reason. I'm guessing that's that's why that was made, because it's very clear that he was supposed to do the red arrow. Uh, okay. All right. That's good to know. Well, it's the Ascension. And no one beats my honey and gets away with it, says Rick. That's right. That's right. So he jumps into the ring and starts kicking this poor little halfling. And then he rips his jacket off for some reason. (laughs) I joke. It's absolutely so Connor O'Brien can look at those pecs while Rick Victor is defending his honor. There's literally no other reason for him to take that jacket off. There's no other reason. I will accept no other explanations. (laughs) Other explanations exist. Not interested in them. Nope. All right. So someone in the audience screams, Corey! Because goddamn it, Corey guys better show up and defend his hobbit and is absolutely right. his hobbit. But he does. He does show up and he shows up with his midsection heavily, frankly, impractically bandaged. It was adorable. <laughs> it was very like this is a high school theater production and we just learned about trying to make wounds, you know, show up whenever you've got people in the back of the house. Right. So, yeah, this kind of over the top midsection bandage. But needless to say, the Ascension kicked the frick out of these two, and then they both come at Corey Graves, taking him out at the knee and at the head, and the lighting goes blue. So, gaze upon the Ascension, ye tag team champions and despair. Well, thank you for that breakdown, Bob. How did you find this episode? It felt like it had to do a bunch of heavy narrative lifting again and so i wasn't getting to see as much of the interesting wrestling as i wanted to see although it did feel like i got to see a bunch of weird little bits of popcorn like i was just going all right num 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 i'll eat this num 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 i'll eat this and it you know none of it particularly substantial or satisfying but definitely Mm -hmm. like you know what all of this is interesting and i will take it you could definitely tell that this is the start of a new taping and that Now that we're kind of done with like the weird shit with all the main roster stars showing up for like one match. Yeah. um, Although Swagger is still here. So, you know, whatever. But uh, you can tell they're kind of resetting the table for the stuff they're going to do going forward. Yeah, definitely. That sense continues throughout the next few episodes of the taping. So I think we're we're getting a whole new set of stories that uh, this episode is laying the groundwork for. All right. I will be narratively aware. As always. I'm sure you're always Uh, narratively aware, Bob. uh, I feel like after we had Dan here, it's very clear. I am less narratively aware than other watchers, but. (laughs) Well, you're narratively aware in your own way. There we go. That's right. I'm looking for storylines that no one has dared to dream. That's right. And speaking of things that no one has dared to dream. Yes. It's time for the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. 
Bob, in this episode, what did your elf eyes see? My elf eyes saw that during the Sami Zayn and Renee interview, when the audience is chanting no more bow, we have Sami Zayn's face for a second. And it's just his face with a real <gasps> yikes expression. <laughs> Like, really going, ooh, they really don't like Bo Dallas. Like, more than we would want them to dislike him, they really don't like him. It's very yeah, charming. although I, Sammy's also probably playing it up because it does seem like Bo is finally starting to be written like somebody who's delusional, which makes it feel like that's the character as opposed to, like, the company trying to make him yes. a, a, a baby face. Thank God. It's been much needed. And again, we're going to talk about that more uh, in the weeks to come as we talk about turns. Yeah. Well, Miles, so, what did your elf yeah. see? Uh, just going back to the Summer Rae Emma match, what I said earlier was absolutely true about when I hear Summer Rae's name, my image of her is doing that full Nelson with her legs. I think she's really good. I think she's better than she was able to demonstrate at this period of time. And I think that she's better than, you know, most wrestling fans remember her as being. Mm, I have to say Summer Rae is a really great heel. She's a fantastic heel. <laughs> All her choices in the match, like just reinforce her character. And absolutely. it's really impressive. Bob, what did your Vulcaneers hear? Still talking about that Sami Zayn Renee interview. Sami Zayn calls Renee a ray of sunshine. And uh, it was just really lovely. And I appreciated it. That's it. <laughs> it was a great moment. Nothing more special than that. Just a warm, fuzzy feeling. What did your Vulcaneers hear? So during the main event, when Neville hits that backdrop suplex on O'Brien that we talked about, he hits the suplex. He tries to pin O'Brien. O'Brien kicks out. And the crowd makes a noise. And I think they edited it really carefully so you couldn't really see it. But it seemed to me like the crowd thought that was three. Oh. And then Regal reacts on commentary. And the commentary team is like, well, you know, the referee just seeing different things than we're seeing. Oh. And they edited it so that you couldn't tell and it looked okay. But I feel like the ref may have screwed that up. Oh, shit. The wrestling is such a weird thing. And like one of the things that denotes it as a weird thing is that you'll have that kind of deal where it's like, look, sometimes their shoulders are down, man. And like, you're not supposed to count it because it's not the finish of the match. Yeah. But if you don't count it, then you break all suspension of disbelief. Traditional wrestling wisdom is like in that situation, you count the three and we deal with it from there. Huh. And that's actually happened in several notable occasions, including like four championships in like other companies. Wow. Um, where it's just like, look, the ref's job is to count the three. And if you as a performer don't get your shoulder up in time, we have to work with that. <laughs> The fact that that suspension of disbelief has to be so carefully nurtured and such a tight line to walk is fascinating. All right, Bob, what did your human heart feel? My human heart felt poor Sasha. Sasha just looked so abandoned and alone in that exchange with Summer Rae and shyly hopeful about the match with Paige, but also like, I know I'm just a small town girl. In a lonely world, the rest of the lyrics to that song. <laughs> I don't even know what song that is. Is that Journey? Is it Don't Stop Believing? I don't that's, know. That's Don't Stop Believing, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all those things. You know, Don't Stop Believing, Sasha. That's my point. That's right. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. All right, Miles, <laughs> what did your human heart feel? 
you already kind of talked about it, but I just really enjoyed Sammy and Renee at the ring. Like they were just so cute together. And I love, I love the moment where Sammy tells her that she's a ray of sunshine in the crowd. It's kind of like, oh, and he's like, come on, yeah. You know? Like the crowd is like, kiss, damn it. I know. I really enjoy the way Sammy interacts with her I and the agree. way he like. He flirts with her, but like, you know, gentlemanly, really just yeah. respectfully flirting with her, you know, As like a, in saying a way, nice things about her and thanking her for her time. In ways that are, you know, not about just, oh, you're very pretty, but are also like, I appreciate what you do. I think it's now time for the wrestling term of the week. But first, two episodes ago, Bob got a wrestling history lesson and learned about the Attitude Era. And Bob has a fanfic for us expressing her knowledge of this period in wrestling history. Yeah. And I, for one, can't wait to hear it. So, Bob, take it away. Oh, boy. You set a challenge for me, and I I finally cracked it. I don't know if I can ever repeat this thing, but I right. figured out how to handle it. Captain Holt looked at his stable of wrestlers. Rosa playing with a switchblade. Jake and Boyle having a covert thumb war under the table. Gina Instagramming the entire thing. So, Technicos, what did you learn from today's history lesson about the Attitude Era? Ooh, sir! Amy flung her hand in the air. That it was degrading to women and failed to recognize the legitimacy of women's wrestling. Good, Santiago! That the wrestler should have risen up and eaten Vince McMahon like he was the weakest member of the wolf pack, Rosa offered. <laughs> Terry grimaced. Come on, Diaz, I'm trying to eat my yogurt here. Boyle raised the hand, not engaged in the thumb war. That we're better than that, and wrestling doesn't have to just be hardcore matches to make people watch it. The wrestling can be good without being disgusting, and you believe in us and think that 99 could be the best wrestling promotion in the city. Correct, Holt exclaimed. Well done, 99. Although Diaz may have had a point about eating Vince McMahon. <laughs> Terry growled in frustration, shoving his yogurt away. Fine, no yogurt for Terry. <laughs> oh, God. Thank you, Bob. I need to watch more of that show. I've seen like two episodes. <laughs> this fanfic exists courtesy of Matias Tautimez, who suggested the cast of the 9-9, and they fit perfectly for this because I was like, how would a history lesson happen? I was like, halt, halt. Oh, thank you, Matias. That's a wonderful yeah. suggestion. And thank you, Bob, for that fic. I very much enjoyed it. Now, Bob, it's time for this episode's Wrestling Term of the Week, and this episode's Wrestling Term of the Week is Distraction Finish. Okay. So a distraction finish is when a match ends because one of the wrestlers, usually the babyface, is distracted by somebody who's not in the match. This distraction causes the other wrestler, usually the heel, to take advantage and win. Now, you and I have seen this a couple of times now already in our coverage, uh, usually in Wyatt family matches. Mm. But it's worth digging deeper into because, A, there was one on this episode with Dawson and Enzo. And there are two of them on the next episode because, B, they are so, so common. Okay. It's not even funny. If you're going to watch wrestling, you have to get used to the distraction finish. And it might help to understand why it's happening. So the distraction finish is rooted in the following idea about both sex and storytelling. You only get one climax, so draw it out as long as possible. <laughs> Thank you for putting it in terms that I understand. Obviously, that joke was written for, with a male understanding of sex. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> that moment where the babyface finally overcomes the heel and wins the championship and the crowd goes wild. You only get that once per feud at most, if you're even doing a feud that way. And the way to get the crowd super invested in that moment is to tease them with it for a while. 
more of wrestling history than you probably would think has just been someone trying to answer the question, how do I draw this out? How do I keep milking this so that by the time the babyface does actually win, the audience will get that massive emotional release and then hopefully head directly to the merch table. Mm-hmm. One way to draw out a feud like this is via the distraction finish. So say you're a wrestling heel and you hate the stupid babyface. Even though deep down you think he might be better at wrestling than you. You definitely don't want him winning that number one contenders match for your championship. Or maybe you just don't want him winning a regular match because it's funny when he loses. So you want to make sure that happens. What what do you do? Can't just like run into the ring and attack him because then he wins by disqualification. But I mean, there ain't nothing in the rules that says you can't come down to ringside and do something to distract the guy long enough that he loses the match. Now, there's a new chapter written in your feud. The heel looks like an asshole. The babyface lost, but he got screwed over. So that release is delayed. But now, theoretically, the crowd is even more behind him than they were before and just dying to see the heel get his comeuppance. And we're off to the races. Distraction finishes don't necessarily have to be part of a feud either. Sometimes it's just a way to give a wrestler a cheap win and emphasize the fact that she's a heel. Get the crowd to boo her a little bit more. Distracting babyfaces is often the job of heel managers and valets, which is why managers and valets tend to be aligned with heel wrestlers rather than babyfaces. In days gone by, distraction finishes had a practical as well as a narrative purpose. During what's called the Territorial Era, there was an organization called the National Wrestling Alliance, or NWA, which exists in a different form today. But back then, it was kind of the game in town for American wrestling. It was basically a loose federation of various wrestling promotions that were localized in their home areas, and they were called territories. The promoters of the different territories agreed on who got to hold the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, but the champion had to tour all the different territories so that everybody would get the benefit of his popularity, right? Hmm. And those days, the champion was almost always a heel. Remember, the name of the game is to keep the heel on top as long as possible before finishing the story with the babyface winning. And even then, the babyface never lasted long as champion because it was time to tell the same underdog story again. So you give the title back to a heel. Mm. As they still say sometimes today, the money is in the chase. So what would happen is the heel champion rolls into some territory with his heel manager or heel valet or heel both whatever, and fights the most popular local babyface in the territory. The promoter wants his guy to look good, to look like he deserves to be in there with the champion, but that local wrestler, that babyface, has not been chosen as the champion by the NWA, so you can't let him win. Hence the distraction finish. It keeps the heel on top while maintaining the face's credibility and earning them sympathy from the crowd. And that kind of thing worked for a long time until wrestling got popular on TV and the distraction finish started to become super overused and people got really sick of it. It'll still work sometimes, but we've definitely gotten to a point where wrestling fans are so accustomed to seeing these screwy finishes to matches that they can't buy into the story the way they used to. It's also just used at the wrong situations a lot of the time in ways that don't really make anyone look good. That having been said, uh, pay attention to next episode's two distraction finishes because they're done for very different reasons and in the service of two very different stories. And the way NXT uses them, I think, can be really interesting. One last uh, quick historical note here, and don't worry about this part for your fanfic, Bob. I just wanted to bring it up now because I don't think we're ever actually going to see this, and it's kind of funny. There's another kind of finish that was incredibly overused as a way to draw out feuds, and it's called the Dusty Finish. Yes, it is named after Dusty Rhodes. Wow. 
because as a booker, it was like his favorite thing ever. He loved doing this. So what happens in a dusty finish is that the ref gets knocked out, right? Usually during a championship match. Second ref comes in to like take over. The match continues. The babyface wins. The crowd goes wild. Only then the first ref wakes up and disqualifies the guy who hit him. Oh, wow. So the heel ends up keeping the title, even though the babyface won. There are other ways to do this kind of thing, too. Like, you can have the babyface win, but then, like, an authority figure comes in and, like, shows footage of the heel's little toe being on the bottom rope or something and reverses the decision. Mm. If wrestling storytelling is like sex, this is the ultimate blue balls of wrestling storytelling. (laughs) And Dusty... We love him so much, but but Dusty did this so often and people got so tired of it that you almost never see it anymore in any promotion because people would just freak the fuck out. When it does happen, everybody's like, oh, my God, this is garbage. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That was your wrestling term of the week. Make sure you come back in two weeks for our next episode in which Bob will have a fanfic explaining the distraction finish. Yeah, Bob, it's time for something we haven't done in a little while. It's time now for Guess the Gimmick. So, Bob, this edition of Guess the Gimmick comes to us courtesy of James Weaver. And what's going to happen right now, listeners, if you haven't heard this before, is that I'm going to give Bob the name of a wrestler. Bob is going to Google that wrestler and based purely on the images that result, she is going to tell us what that wrestler's character is. This is a big one. The one that James Weaver suggested to us is Shawn Michaels. So, Bob, get to Googling. I am looking at a man who has the heavily lined face of somebody who spent a lot of time outdoors, sometimes in a cowboy hat. I think this is Dime Store Walker, Texas Ranger. (laughs) And I think his origin story is that Walker, Texas Ranger existed. This is like Walker, Texas Ranger's brother who was like, nah, I don't want to be part of the law or make a difference or anything. I just want to wrestle. And then he decided to go and be a professional wrestler and uh, grow his hair out long. And so now there's this real like cool guy wrestler tension with Chuck Norris's character who's like, you know, not clean shaven, but you know what I mean? Like character wise, clean shaven. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, I got you. Yeah. And uh, so now whenever they meet and whenever Shawn Michaels comes back to whatever the town is where Walker, Texas Ranger takes place, or maybe he ranges all over the place. I have not watched it that (laughs) whenever they have Thanksgiving dinner together and stuff, that it's really awkward because of like, you could have been her Texas Ranger. And he's like, no man, I had to follow my heart and my heart was wearing these red chaps into the wrestling ring. (laughs) I like it. Well, are you telling me uh, that's not what the case is? Not exactly, but, you know, honestly, Michaels is a little bit hard to nail down in this category. For the vast majority of his career, Shawn Michaels' gimmick is that he is in love with himself. He is from Texas, so you nailed that part of it. Man, I got family from Texas. I know it when I see it. He started off, at least in most people's memory, as one half of a tag team called the Rockers. Had a legendary heel turn where he kicked his partner, Marty Jannetty, through the barbershop window. Holy shit. 
And then he basically was like super cocky for like years. <laughs> he was in love with himself. He the ladies all love him. You know, that was kind of his deal. His character was that he thought he was the best ever. As time went on, Michaels went through some shit like he suffered a, a really bad injury and thought he wasn't going to be able to wrestle again. Ended up coming back and wrestling for many years after that. By the time he got injured, he was already like, you know, world champion, kind of recognized as one of the best to ever do it, that kind of thing. And so when he came back from injury, his character kind of became like just I'm Shawn Michaels. Like, I'm just really good. <laughs> I'm me, you know. Yeah. Me. And then, of course, he also found religion at some point during this whole journey. Oh, boy. Um his devoutness, which is very real, didn't always come through in his wrestling character. But do you remember when I asked you the cheap pop quiz question about what had happened to Cesaro? And one of the options was he had found religion and went around saying his tag team partner was God. Yes. That was kind of a reference to Shawn Michaels. Oh my God. <laughs> so Sean's done a lot of stuff over the years. Not all of it good. Many of it very bad. But he's also a really good wrestler. Um, since he split with his fellow rocker, Janetti, his nickname was the Heartbreak Kid. Mm. When he came back, he was still called the Heartbreak Kid, even though he really wasn't playing the Heartbreak Kid character anymore. There is an amazing picture of him being spooned by maybe Triple H. Like, they're just gay dads at the gym. He and Triple H are super best friends, Aww. and they together formed a legendary uh, group of wrestlers called D-Generation X. In the Attitude Era, DX were the ones who were like, we're going to break all the rules and show you our butts and talk <laughs> crude and stuff like that. So <laughs> The rudest thing a person can do. All right. Well, thank you, uh, James Weaver, for that contribution to Guess the Gimmick. Yeah, and uh, if you have uh, contributed other names to us, don't despair. We have them on a list and we are slowly making our way through them as we have time. If you want to send us more names for Guess the Gimmick, you can do that at our email address, nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com or hit us up on Facebook or Twitter. All right, Bob, it's time to close things out. And to do that... We have to jump into the cheap pop quiz. All right. I'm high on it. I can feel it. I'm going to get those remaining two points somehow. Let's do it. All right. Question number one. Because NXT is taped rather than live and because it's developmental, wrestlers and referees sometimes make mistakes in front of the live crowd that get edited out for TV. When a wrestler botches a move and when the move they botch is supposed to be the finish of the match, there's not a whole lot you can do. You kind of have to keep that one in the show. Which of next episode's matches features our first botched finish? Is it A, Bailey and Charlotte versus Alicia Fox and Oksana? B, Corey Graves versus Rick Victor? C, Alexander Rusev versus Mason Ryan, D, Sami Zayn versus Jack Swagger, or E, both A and B. I feel like A. You feel like A? You feel like it's Bailey and Charlotte versus yeah, Alicia and Oksana? Because Charlotte is so new to it. I could see Charlotte flubbing it. Fair enough. Question number two. Next episode, we kick off a new Leo Kruger feud as he attacks a wrestler in the parking lot. <laughs> oh, yay. Who is the latest target of Kruger's aggression? Is it A, Kurt Hawkins, because Hawkins doesn't really matter and Kruger needs a rebound after that championship loss? How dare you? 
B, CJ Parker, because there's only room for one man in NXT who plays with his hair. <laughs> C, Cesaro, because Kruger watched that two out of three falls match and thought, yes, this is a man I should piss off. D, Xavier Woods, because a South African game hunter beating up a black man is just fantastic optics. Or E, none of the above. I'm so afraid it's D. The pessimist in me is going to say D. Okay, D, Xavier Woods. And question number three. I'm not going to go into too much detail about this yet, but we will pick up the threads of this question in the next Cheap Pop Quiz, Bob. For now, just answer this as I directly engage with two of your ancillary interests. What actor forms a tenuous bridge between an online fan theory about NXT? I know you love online fan theories. I do. That we will encounter for the first time next episode. And the popular BBC television show, Doctor Who. Oh, boy. Is it A, David Tennant? B, Matt Smith? C, Peter Capaldi? D, Alex Kingston? Or E, Karen Gillan? I'm going to say Peter Capaldi. Peter Capaldi. All right. He's been a lot of shit, Peter Capaldi. Yes, he has. I'm counting on that. Come back on the next episode to see if Bob got those two that she needs. Yes. We'll see if you got there, Bob. We'll see if you get another romance novel or fanfic out of me here. All right, Bob. Well, I think that's about all we got for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. As always, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you. It's always fun. Uh, before we get out of here, we have a few things we need to address, actually. Uh, the first thing that we need to talk about is uh, the question that we received at uh, our email address, nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com, which is a question that we got from Neil Butler, who wanted it answered on the air. So Neil asks, I was watching AEW last night, specifically the match between Bad Boy Joey Janela and Kip Superbad Sabian, and it got me thinking about the Bad Boy character archetype. I'm not sure there's a Bad Boy in the NXT shows you all are covering, though you could probably make an argument for Corey Graves. I just thought that playing a Bad Boy, at least on a televised show with continuity like AEW, seemed like a pretty lazy decision. Mm. Like, all a Bad Boy really needs to do is self-identify as a Bad Boy and act like they are hot stuff. Leather jacket, sunglasses optional, but highly recommended. I guess a simpler character makes more sense if you do most of your work in indie promotions and just need to play a type the crowd will recognize. Another thing is, a lot of wrestlers seem to have aspects of being a bad boy, but it's not their entire persona. Jericho could be described as a bad boy, but he's also Jericho and Le Champion. Sammy Guevara has the shades, leather jacket, and attitude of a bad boy, but has other aspects of his character, his youth, his style of wrestling, and his membership of the inner circle and relationship with Jericho. Eddie and Chavo Guerrero could probably have been described as bad boys in the early aughts, but a specific kind of Latinx bad boy. I'm not sure where I was going with this, he says, but I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on wrestling character archetypes and the bad boy type in particular. Who is the canonical bad boy in wrestling and who has told the most interesting stories as a bad boy? Do you agree that it's a kind of lazy character to play in a weekly show that allows for more complex and nuanced storytelling? Am I just being reductive? Thanks for your time, Neil. Uh, okay, Neil. So uh, there's a lot to unpack here. I'm not going to probably be able to cover everything, but here's my general thoughts. I spent some time thinking about this, and here's kind of what I came up with. So the thing about the bad boy in wrestling is that it's like kind of its own entire genre of character. What? Like you pointed out, you know, Jericho kind of is, but he's got other stuff. Sammy Guevara kind of is, but he's got other stuff. Like there's a lot of people in wrestling who come out with like leather jackets and sunglasses, you know, like it's, it happens 
all the fucking time. It's a requirement. It's not a requirement, but like you get it a lot. And I think what you're seeing when you talk about these other guys is sort of like different flavors of bad boy. The thing about Janela and to me, the reason that he personally does not resonate with me, Mm. aside from the fact that that Janela is a hardcore wrestler and I'm just not into that. There really is nothing else. He just calls himself that. And the reason he's the bad boy is because he wrestles hardcore matches. There's not really much. At least that's that is at least what I have gotten from his character. Granted, I don't watch a lot of like indie stuff that Janela has been on. But like for me, when I look at Joey Janela, it's like he calls himself the bad boy and he wears like the sunglasses. He's got kind of the sunglasses and the long hair. So he looks kind of 80s. But like what makes him the bad boy is that he's hardcore, you know, Mm. and that to me is not a character. Um, Or at least it's not a character that I can personally dig my teeth into. If we're talking about sort of historic bad boys in wrestling, I think probably the person you're going to gravitate to first and foremost is Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels is kind of the prototypical bad boy, especially pre-back injury Shawn Michaels, like 90s Degeneration X Shawn Michaels. He's cocky. He's cool. He's a heel. He is totally disrespectful. He will, he's the kind of guy that like, you know, will flirt with your girlfriend and then kick you in the face. You know what I mean? Like Uh, that's kind of, that speaks a lot to like bad boy for me. Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, as he was previously known, um, kind of the Cuban version of a bad boy. Like he, he actually used to like come to the ring in a Hawaiian shirt with a toothpick in his mouth. His catchphrase was say hello to the bad guy, you know? So like, nice, honestly, probably the most recent successful story of a bad boy in wrestling is Becky Lynch. Becky Lynch really did play that character in a lot of ways when she turned heel. There's so fucking many of them. Okay. (laughs) You have to do something different. A sea Um, of bad boys. You can see why it's like that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, like you can see why that archetype resonates. Well, now for some good, good like people. Our Patreon has started. It is now open for, you know, your kind donations and support of this show. And we are only currently $24 away from making a bonus episode that the patrons get to decide what it's going to be and it will go up on Patreon. So if you are interested in controlling what we do, and why wouldn't you? It would be very interesting. Go ahead (laughs) and donate as little as $2 a month and get in on this ride. Yeah, if you're a patron at the $5 or up level, then you are actually listening to this three days uh, before it goes live to the public. So that's one of the many benefits you get if you sign up at the $5 or more level. You get early access to episodes. You also get um, your picks in ahead of the the queue for things like Guess the Gimmick and uh, the characters for Bob's fanfics. For $2 a month, you get a shout out and we will also give you an NXT name in your shout out. Or if you have a wrestling name that you're committed to, you can tell us what that is and we will shout you out with that as well. Um, So let's quickly do that, actually, because we have uh, we already have some people to shout out. Uh, So big thanks to our first, our very first crop of patrons. Yeah. Um, So thank you so much to Krista Contino Sambi, David Waters, David Kehoe, Jeff Polier, Neil Butler and Luke Blunier. 
Guys, thank you so much for supporting our show. If you have a preferred uh, wrestling name that you would like to go by for the rest of your time as a patron of the next wrestling fan, please send it to us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com or hit us up on social media with that name. Do that before we release uh, the next episode, which will be episode 16. If you don't want to or can't do it in time, that's fine. We will be assigning you an NXT name. Oh, Miles uh, has some great ideas, at that point. so you're good. I have... I have thoughts, so if you want to wait for me to assign you an NXT name, that is absolutely your call. But if you want some say over it, uh, just shoot us an email or hit us up on social media uh, with that name. Also, a uh, big shout out to Neil Butler specifically, who is our first ever patron at the $10 <laughs> level. And that means that Neil gets to send us some details about his wrestling persona, like uh, his finishing move, his catchphrase, anything else he might want to throw in there. <laughs> and uh, when he does that, we will award Neil the inaugural NXT Wrestling Fan Championship belt. Yeah. So the key question. What does it say on the butt of your trunks? Key question. Yes. What does it say on the butt or the crotch of your trunks? Yes. And I did want to say another thing that we're going to be kind of sprinkling into the Patreon is things that we have cut from previous episodes that weren't able to make it in, but yes. that we hung on to because we thought they were interesting or funny. And so we will be throwing up chunks periodically that got cut from previous episodes. Guys, the biggest thing you're going to get as a patron of our show is more content. That is our <laughs> that is our biggest commitment to you as yes. patrons of the show is you just get more of us. So uh, yeah, if that's whatever, what you're looking for. Yeah, if that's a thing you're into, which hopefully it is. If you listen to this, hopefully it is. If that's what you're looking for, go over to patreon.com slash NXT wrestling fan. Give us those donations. We really appreciate it. Thank you so, so much. much for supporting this weird thing that we're doing. And we're really excited about it. Thank you guys again. And we also wanted to say just a quick reminder to come join us on the Smash Fiction Fan Faction, which is yes. on Facebook. It is lovely. Uh, I've been having a few conversations about the latest NXT takeover for Portland. The Smash Fiction Fan Faction is a great place to just talk to us on social media about wrestling or pretty much anything. Um, Bob and I are both really active uh, in the faction. So I, Bob's more active than me, but Bob's more active than everyone. Um, <laughs> all you have to do is, is request membership and you can become part of our really cool little community that we've been building over there. And we would love to have you. And if you have any good covers of toss a coin to your Witcher, we are very here for that right now. <laughs> so good. It's so good. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you so much for your, uh, your emails, for your, uh, interactions on social media for your donations on patreon really appreciate all of you everything you do and uh, we will see you in two weeks with a new episode of the next wrestling fan bye the next wrestling fan is produced by miles schneiderman with logo design by claire mulcairin Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. Visit our website at nxtwrestlingfan.com for show notes, 
episode transcripts, and more. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. real fun tracking her uh, her evolution here no <laughs> you don't I even have a it. kid yet it's infusing me already <laughs> it's like the dadness is wafting off of sharon's womb and making me make these jokes <laughs> you think like as a pregnant person goes through the changes that birth like and and gestating human life bring so too does the other person around go through this other change from like just yeah. telling normal jokes to like going all I can tell now are dad jokes exactly I've tried to tell funny jokes and it just won't happen I can't make the words come out of course the funny thing about all of this is that by the time this episode comes out I will already have been a dad for like months that's so, <laughs> so weird <laughs> <laughs>